morning, church. So good to see you. Do me a favor, take out your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers who also happen to be all simultaneously at the same time the greatest mother on the planet. That's an impossible feat that you are accomplishing. And you know what? Without you, none of us would be here. And that's important. And we honor you. And we love you today and uh, celebrate you. Um, one thing I want to mention before we get into our text, and I really mention this every May, uh, because we have something that happens uh, every time we're, as a church, we're approaching the summer months, uh, like even in a couple of weeks, some of you are ready to get out of school and head off to your vacation for the, the summer and making your travel plans and all of that. And what happens every year, every year without fail in the church is uh, everybody goes out in the summer and they, they have a great time in the summer and uh, the giving the, for the church uh, plummets into this thing called the summer slump. All the pastors know about it and all that sort of thing. So I make it a point every year in sometime in May to remind you to say, hey, you know what? Um, it, you don't do anything wrong. I know you get out there, you have a great time in summer, you just out of sight, out of mind, no big deal. But don't let it go out of sight, out of mind. Remember your church this summer, amen? Because uh, if you, uh, you probably got the email this past Friday. If you scroll all the way down to that email, uh, when you, that you get on Friday, all the way at the bottom is the numbers, the, where our goal for giving is at this time of the year and where we actually are. We're actually trailing, and now we're about to hit summer slump, so you know why I'm mentioning this, okay? It's the only reason I would ever mention it, uh, so please help us out if you're able. Um, help us not have a summer slump for Rob McClellan alone. Amen? Amen. He has to manage all the cash flow that goes through this church, and it, summer is a rough time for him. Uh, but also, if you can help us catch up with giving, uh, before summer hits, uh, man, that would be even much better, and Rob would love you for that, and uh, I, I would too, okay? So uh, I have said it, I have done my duty, and now we're moving on, amen? John chapter 6, uh, I'm going to read from verse 60 down to verse 69, and uh, let this be our meditation this morning. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to unpack this for us. Father, we just uh, commit ourselves to you today in your word. And uh, Lord, as we uh, hover over this particular situation, uh, Holy Spirit, would you enlighten this word to us? Uh, enlighten our own hearts, enlighten our lives, show us um, who you are, who we are, um, and where we're to go and who we're to be and empower us in that as we do. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, we are in week two of our series on 
doubt. Help with my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. And last week we started off by saying, when you face doubt, don't freak out. Yes, that rhymes, and I did it on purpose. Okay. Don't freak out, right? Uh, we looked at John the Baptist, and we said, you know, if John the Baptist, according to Jesus, is the greatest human to ever live uh, prior to the kingdom coming, then, and if he can doubt, then anyone can doubt, really, uh, in following Christ. And this week, we're looking at another bout with doubt, um, but in a different occasion and a different source uh, for the doubt. Um, and so let me unpack it just briefly here. Verse 60, it says, on hearing it. Well, you might ask, what is the it that they heard? Well, from verse 25 down to 59, um, Jesus is saying things that shocked everyone, upset everyone, made everyone really quite angry and confused. Um, and he said things like, only he has seen the Father, he is the bread that came from heaven. Uh, people can only come to him if the Father permits them to or gives them permission to. Um, he said things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Um, and it sounded very clear to everyone who was there that Jesus is promoting cannibalism in this particular instance. And on hearing these things, on hearing it, they were very upset. It was very upsetting. And they said, and it says next, many of his disciples, um, we're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples. We're not talking about just the 12, all right? The 12 were the inner circle, but he had many, many disciples who were following him and seeking uh, to be like him. Uh, so many of his disciples, and then it says, they said, this is a hard teaching. Um, and it doesn't mean that they thought it was hard to understand. They actually felt like they understand him very clearly. I know exactly what he's saying. But then they asked the question, who can accept it? And they, they basically are saying, it's not that I have a hard time understanding it. It's I have a, a hard time swallowing it. I have a hard time receiving what you just said. I am struggling with this. And it says that the disciples were grumbling amongst themselves and Jesus knew it. In other words, they were grumbling. But what they were doing is they were doubting Jesus. They said, make... You know, following Jesus, I feel like I'm following Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, it, it, he just said something so strange that all of us are feeling very awkward in this moment. And so Jesus asked the disciples, even in that moment, does this offend you? Now, the Greek term for offend is skandalizo. And it's where we get the English word scandal. And so Jesus was basically asking them, he uses the same term with John the Baptist last week, if you remember. He says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Offended means scandalizo. It's, the, it's like basically, John, um, blessed is the one who is not um, considering that I'm a fraud for some reason. And that's what he was saying here. Does this offend you? Does this make you upset enough to consider me a fraud? And in verse 66, it says this, that many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In other words, they had signed up to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus and make him their master and to become like Jesus and to teach the way of Jesus. And then they checked out and they said, sign me out, ring the bell, I'm out. They all walked away from him. In other words, they, they set themselves out of the college. They, you know, they just left. It's not that they were just happened to be there and they just meandered another way. No, they all checked out of their commitment. 
uh, to follow Christ and him. And so then he turns and all, as all of these multitudes are walking away from him and saying, nah, not that. That's weird. They're all walking away. While they're walking away, I want you to envision Jesus turning to the 12, the inner circle of this madman. Supposedly, everyone is thinking at the time. And he turns to the 12 and he asks them, you don't want to leave too, do you? In other words, I'm giving you the opportunity to check out as well. You can do that right now with everybody else. You don't want to leave too, do you? And so we hear, we, here's what we have in this particular occurrence. It's an interesting situation here. What we have is everyone is doubting Jesus. Everyone. Even his inner circle. Even Peter. Some stayed with him through this very confusing moment. And others, many of the others, all left him. But all of them were dealing with doubt. So what is the difference between those who stayed with Jesus through their doubts and those who couldn't stomach the teaching and walked away from Jesus because of their doubts? What's the difference? Well, that's the question I want to answer in the three points this morning. So three considerations when we struggle in a season of doubt. And hopefully you'll see what has happened in this circumstance, and it'll help you if you ever come into a place where you have the same senses, the same feeling and thoughts about Jesus as these folks did. The first thing to consider when we struggle in a season of doubt is to consider our motives for following Jesus. Now, Jesus cares deeply about motives that we have when we're following him. He cares very much about why we are following him and that's what the whole passage really is about motive why are you following me now let me say this before I get into this point okay it's not necessarily a bad thing or condemned by Jesus to have ulterior motives in following Jesus especially initially when you go to follow Jesus okay it could be that you don't know what the proper motive should be or you don't even know you think you've got the right motives but you really don't you don't even know that it hasn't been exposed to you yet there's a lot of mixed motives in following Jesus, especially initially and as you're growing. But you had better believe that along the way, Jesus is going to expose your real motive and he's going to call you into the proper motive and the right motive and the right degree of motive that you should have in following him. My motive in following Christ in college was a gorgeous girl I had my eye on. She invited me to stuff, you know, and I went. Why? Because I don't care if she's inviting me to a snake handling convention. I am going. But in process, I ran into Jesus. And it stopped being about the girl. Eventually, it became about me and him. Who I am, who he is, what he requires of me, what I'm willing to give. Regardless of what happened with the girl, praise God, she's the mother of my kids now. I still got her, all right? But it had better be about a whole lot other things and a whole lot higher things than the girl. Jesus cares about our motive. And so we see a couple of motives here that are being exposed in this situation. And it's the primary thing of separating those who stay and those who go. First, Following Jesus for material benefits is a motive. Down in verse 26, I'm going to paraphrase this verse, this thing that Jesus said to the crowds. He says, you look for me and you follow me 
not because of the miracles that help you trust me as the Messiah, the Holy One, that you are following me because you enjoy the free meal plan. In other words, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 on one side of the Galilee. He gets in a boat and he crosses the, the Sea of Galilee. And guess what? He shows up and they beat him there. They went around the sea to meet him there. They were like highly motivated to get more free food. And that's what they were there for. And he saw that and he knew that they were, uh, that they were there because they wanted another free meal. They kind of liked how they had like this free dispensary of bread and fish all the time with Jesus because they kind of liked it. And so he sees them waiting for him on the shore. Now, now, let me tell you how that happens. The Sea of Galilee is more like Lake Galilee, all right, for us Americans. It's kind of like Lake Tahoe. If you think about the size of Lake Tahoe, that's kind of like uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's 12 miles across, about something like that. So they, uh, they hustled all around and beat him there uh, to the other side. He sees them, and he says, the only reason you are wanting to follow me is because I fed your belly, and you want another one. You want another round of food. And you like how it's coming miraculously. You like the physical benefits that I'm providing you. But you should take the miracle to give you a higher motivation to see that I am the one who was promised. You should have higher motivations to come and follow me than just bread for your stomach. I am the bread who came from heaven. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness and died. I am the one. I am the bread. Me. It's me you should want. Not the food I give you, prosperity gospel. The reason I fed you in a miraculous way is so that you would see me and come to me. Whole incident is Jesus saying these things that appear to be difficult to swallow because what Jesus is doing is exposing their real motive. And the oddness and the feeling of doubt and, and weirdness of what Jesus was saying was bringing to surface what their real motives were, and they were exposed. And Jesus is calling them to a higher, more accurate motive of what he's after in them. And then we see another motive, following Jesus with a mob mentality. Um, the sense in the passage is that many were perhaps just following whatever the crowds did. And the crowds happened to be following Jesus, and a lot of them were motivated by food. And when the crowds followed Jesus, they followed Jesus. And then when the crowds walked away, they walked away with the crowds. They're just a crowd-following group. But that, Jesus says, that is an insufficient motive. Because what happens to you when the crowd walks away from Jesus? Will you do? As the great hymn says, though none go with me, still I will follow. You know the hymn? And it says it three times. Though none go with me. I'm not going to sing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sang it as a kid. And then it ends with what? No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me. That hymn is a beautiful expression of what Jesus requires of us. The crowds turn away. Though none go with me. If you're struggling in a season of doubt. Could it be because the crowds that surround you can't stomach Jesus and it's causing you to doubt? I was in seminary many years ago and uh, we were in a class and this sort of thing came up and this pastor who was kind of a funny guy, 
just piped out, just said what he was feeling. And he said this, we were thinking about this kind of thing. And he said, you know, I could reach a whole lot more people for Jesus if it weren't for Jesus. And that was really a funny way of saying it because all of us are pastors in the room and we kind of laugh because we know, we know that if we hitch our wagon to Jesus and we say what Jesus says and we say it the way he wants us to say it and we stay faithful to him, from time to time Jesus says things that thin out the crowd. And you got to know, like, we don't want the crowd thinned out. We want a lot more people here. But the crowds get thinned out when you, when you hang out with Jesus. And he does it for a purpose and he does it for a reason. Jesus has a way of saying things and demanding things that make a lot of people stop following him. And the reason they stop following him is because what they were after and what he was after, they're not willing to give. Consider this in this passage. That Jesus didn't do what this pastor might have done in such a circumstance. Jesus never gave an explanation to clarify. He let them assume he was actually talking about cannibalism. He didn't clear the air. He didn't go, hey, hey, wait, 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 don't leave, don't leave. Let me explain, let me explain. Come back. Come back. I, I, don't, I don't mean that. I know you're thinking that, but I don't mean that. I mean the Lord's Supper. All right? I mean that. Nothing. What did he do? Watch them walk away. And you have to ask, why? Why would he just let them walk away? It's a test of their motive. Will you trust me beyond your reasoning? Trust me beyond your reasoning. He let them leave. Here's what I think this means. Jesus is not as concerned about how many followers he has as much as the kind of followers he has. Next, consider the trust level required. Consider the trust level required. Here's what Peter said. We have come to believe and to know, know, you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. You alone hold the words of eternal life. You're the only one who offers and backs it up. Eternal life. The thing I want more than anything else. And so Peter's basically saying this. You may say some things that are hard to stomach, and yes, all of us flinched at what you just said, and we waffled a little bit, but I'm totally convinced you're the Holy One. I've seen the miracles. I've seen you teach. You say things no one else said the way no one else says it. You speak as one from God, and you back it up with miracle after miracle after miracle. You back it up. You are who you claim to be. And you might say some weird things, but if you're crazy, then I'm crazy too because I'm with you. I don't know what you just said, and I don't know what all that means, and I, it was very weird, but I trust you. I trust the signs, and I trust your teaching. You're the holy one. You're the holy one. I had an older man that I loved dearly uh, at a church in Louisiana. His name was Leroy Faith. And, man, you hear this guy pray. It's like him and God are sitting on a bench. Like, just like, and he's just, uh, it's amazing. He's one of the most godly men I know, faithful in the church. And uh, we, were, we were talking one day, 
And uh, as an older man would to a younger guy, he was joking around with me because he was right on something that, man, I didn't know he was right. And he said this, Key, if I tell you it's Easter, dye your eggs. And that joking, obviously, was just a joke. But he, what he was basically saying is, um, trust my word, I don't care how crazy it sounds. It's right. Right? Well, don't ever trust any person like that except Jesus. Except Jesus. And that's what Jesus is after. Jesus is saying, trust me with your entire life, all the agenda, every decision you make, trust me with everything, all that you are, I deserve it, and I don't have to explain myself to you. Trust me completely above your own reasoning. Trust me. Trust me above your circumstances. Trust me. Trust me above everything, with everything. I want nothing less. Now, I believe Peter's trust level here is exactly what Jesus is after from every follower of his. You're the holy one. My life wagon is hitched to you. If you're crazy, then I'm crazy too. But I'm with you. And I don't understand everything you say. I don't understand everything about the universe. And I don't understand all, a lot of things that you might say. But all I know is I'm with you, and I trust you with everything. And it feels a little bit like stepping off a cliff. Well, guess what? That's faith. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants. Next, consider the alternatives. I close with this point, but it's a long one, so don't get excited. <laughs> yeah, you're like, he's early. Mm. I have a way of coming through, you know, and being late. Peter says the most logical and obvious thing right here in this occurrence and it's just awesome to unpack here he asked the question to whom shall we go where else am i going to go uh, the question for peter is a rhetorical question it's not it's actually a statement right more than anything meaning there's no other place i can go and get what you're offering and a, and someone that can back you claiming what you claim and back it up the way you have there's no one else that has ever offered that in the history of humanity. I have seen it with my own eyes. Where else am I going to go to find that? To whom shall I go? No other place to go to get what Jesus offers. So I don't care what he says. I don't care how outlandish it seems. Where else am I going to go? The reason... Peter asked the question, is a couple of things. When you consider I'm following Jesus, he is my master and my Lord, and then I am considering walking away from him. But I need to think about, what am I going to? Where will you go? In a struggle of doubt, let me ask you, have you considered, where will you go? What would you go to? Who would you go to? To satisfy the need that you have as a human being. First thing, let's look at this. Everyone has to go somewhere. You can't depend on you. You can't save you. You can't grant yourself hope. You cannot satisfy the deepest longings of your own soul. You cannot provide yourself answers to the greatest questions in life. You are finite. You can't give yourself meaning and purpose. You can't. You can't even know who you are. 
Everyone has to go somewhere, so where will you go? What else will you cling to? Whether we are aware of it or not, every human being goes somewhere to give them meaning and purpose. Listen, you don't go in and out of religion. You are, by your very nature, a religious person. You exist as a religious person. You trust things you can't prove, and you trust things that you can't comprehend to guide your life every day of your life. You are religious. It's just a matter of which religion. There's there's not a choice here of being religious or not. Every human being must live on the level of trusting things they cannot prove and cannot comprehend to guide their life. So in a season of doubt, we are often consumed with the thought of walking away from Jesus, but we need to ask ourselves, where am I going? What will I trust? (laughs) What will be that religion that I will cling to? outside of Christ. And then second thing, so everyone has to go somewhere, but to walk away from Jesus is at the same time rejecting everything about Jesus. I want you to think about the people who are walking away from Jesus in this instant right here. In our text, the people who walked away were convinced he's crazy. He's crazy. He's a Jeffrey Dahmer. This guy's a lunatic. He's talking about cannibalism and eating his body and stuff. If you walk away from a Jeffrey Dahmer, you don't go, but you know what? I gleaned a few good things from him. No, you walk away from him and you garbage can everything about him. And this is another one of those occasions where he doesn't leave anyone in the crowd room to say, you know, I don't believe what he's saying, but he seems like a good guy. No, he's not a good guy if what you think he said is true. He is either Lord and God and deserves our complete and total trust, or he is a madman and we should have rejected him entirely. Y'all heard me if you were here on Easter. We talked about this as well. Jesus intentionally and purposely makes himself polarizing to you and me. He gets all of us or he gets none of us and he would have it no other way. You either bow your knee and declare my Lord and my God or you walk away with everyone else and reject everything about him. But if you walk away, you can't hold on to some things that you really liked about him. You got to let him go. You reject everything that came with him. So in a season of doubt, you have to consider too, this is helpful. When I'm doing what the disciples were doing, consider that to walk away from Christ is to leave him and everything about him behind. And then I need to ask, am I willing to leave everything? Everything. Because to go with him calls for everything, but to leave him means I leave everything about him. Next, to walk away from Jesus at the same time embracing, uh, is at the same time embracing another worldview system entirely. Um, when we struggle with doubt, we're consumed with Jesus. Is, Jesus is the risky one, right? Um, and, 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 and the risky ground of trusting him with everything, it feels, feels risky. Everyone else seems safe and solid and secure and comforting. Uh, but right here feels really risky with Jesus. But that's a lie. In our seasons of doubt, where we may be tempted to walk away from Jesus, we have to consider to walk away from Jesus is simply to go to another faith system where it's just as risky and requires faith. And it is another religion. Wherever you go, if it's just away from Jesus, you're going to another religion that just as much requires faith. Just as much. So to walk away from Jesus is not walk away from religion. To walk away from Jesus is merely to walk away from one religion and embrace another one. And when you embrace another one, embrace it fully. 
Live consistent with the worldview you are embracing. Don't stay between religions and handpick from this religion and that religion just to, so you can stay in control and keep comfort in your life. All of these places, all of these worldview structures, all require faith, require trust. Trusting things you can't prove, trusting things you can't comprehend to guide your life and give you meaning and purpose in your life. Every place you go requires that. So in a season of doubt, ask, your, ask yourself the question, to whom will I go? And when I go, I need to reject. And when I go, I need to accept fully and live consistently with that worldview. Where will you go? What will you trust? Who will you become? What worldview religion will you cling to and align your life with? Whatever it is, embrace it fully. Will you go to Islam? Will you go to Buddhism? Hinduism? Will you go to atheism? All of them are based in faith and are a religion and provide you meaning and purpose in your life and dictate what your decisions will be in your life. You're trusting in something you cannot comprehend. You're trusting in something you cannot prove. That's faith. That's religion. And you're living your life according to it. When you leave Jesus, you don't just leave religion. You go to another religion. Many in America, in a season of doubt, are tempted to walk away, and they think atheism is the next option. The material world is all there is. And it's sort of this safe, secure place, right? It doesn't require faith. Oh, no. It is a much, just as risky an option and requires faith, and it is a religion itself as well. And you must consider, many in America are doing this. They're walking away from what they call religion to a non-religious. Oh, it's just as religious as anything else. You're trusting in things you can't. You know, science, I don't have time for this, but if you say, oh, I'm just living off science. Well, science can't give you what you're, what you're really looking for to live your life. Science can only tell you what is. That's it. You go beyond science when you start trusting things you can't prove. That's religion. That's faith. When you can't prove it empirically, then you're having to trust things and you're having to have faith in things. Well, that's religion. Things you can't prove and things you can't comprehend. History. Origins. When you start guessing at origins and locking in on an origin in atheism, that's religion. That is faith. You're trusting something you can't prove. You weren't there. You can't prove it empirically. Science can only tell you what is. Science leads people to make guesses and trust in things. And when they trust and they guess things, it's a religion. Now you're basing your life on things that you believe are true that you can't prove and you can't comprehend. And you can't prove it empirically. Atheism is just as much a religion. What you're saying is, is that um, there is no God. The material world is all that exists. Consider what you leave behind when you leave Jesus and you go to this type of worldview. Embrace it fully. The doctrine of equality, gone. There is no equality in an atheistic worldview. Human dignity and value. There is no dignity. There is no human value in an atheistic, a materialism, atheistic worldview. Purpose and meaning for your existence, there is none. There is no meaning for your existence. You're material, you're going to come and you're going to go and it's it. 
all moral codes and ethics, not based on any real authority. It's just basically a contract, social contract. It all can be thrown away, just like Putin's doing over in Europe. Get rid of that contract. Because why? Because I don't like it. So somebody comes in with power and just removes it. Yeah, what good is that? There's no authority there. There's no truth. There's no transcendent truth that's for all of us. Um, there's no sense of justice. Right and wrong don't exist, so therefore, what is justice? Correcting wrongs. Well, there is no wrong. Everything everyone does is right in an atheistic, materialistic worldview. If there is no God, the material world is all there is. There is no justice. And when you embrace atheism and materialism, you're also embracing the idea that power rules. The strong eat the weak, and that's the way the world works. That is a religion. That is a religion. That is a faith system, and you have to trust in that. And if that's the way you operate and you're consistent in your worldview, materialistic atheism, then the power rules. Get the power and rule to get your way because nothing really matters anyway. We all come and go and it's all material. Now, consider this question. How many of us would like to live in a world where our worldview is taken to its logical conclusion by the entire society? Consider it. If everyone takes on that view, materialistic atheism, is that a kind of society you want to live in? It doesn't work for society. And here's why. Because it's not in line with reality. It's not in line with the way you think about yourself instinctively, innately. Materialistic atheism is not in line with you. You know you're different. And you know it because God baked it into your fabric of who you are. You know you're not just material. You know this. What do you do with that when all of humanity thinks they're special? They feel like a sense of I have a, a, a something that's, I have some sense that I'm not, I'm valuable. And so are you above other things. We have it innately. What do you do with that reality, science? That all of us think that. That we are indeed different and special. It's because God made it to be that way. To me, atheistic materialism sounds much closer to the way of the jungle. It sounds like a society of chaos and depravity. Everyone outpowering one another. Does that sound familiar to anything? It sounds like barbarism. No law, no rule that calls us to selflessness and love and service. What kind of society do you want to live in? All right, so I just walk you through an exercise of considering where will I go. And so we say atheism, materialism, yeah, that sounds fine. But we have not, most people don't embrace the full logical conclusion of that worldview. They hang on to the equality of Christianity. They hang on to human dignity. They hang on to justice, morals. And then they say that they're going to be an atheistic, materialistic person. Can't have both. So the question Peter asks. To whom will you go? Let's just say this, another exercise. A disaster, a tragedy has happened in your life. You lost a child. You lost a loved one. Something bad has happened to you. And it begins to raise up questions. Does God really exist? Ask yourself, what other worldview will offer you hope to deal with that? You go over here to atheistic materialism, that's just the way the world is. Get over it. No hope. You think it's better over here? You've gone to something better, more hopeful, more, that's going to help you? You're going to see them again. 
I am making all things new. Man, what a promise. You're going to rise from the dead. You're an eternal being made in the image of God. I died for your sins. Separation between God and man is solved in me, says Jesus, and the cross. I'm raised again. You will also be raised. We'll be together forever. If that doesn't just hit the deepest needs of your soul, I don't know what will. Nothing else out there will hit your soul and answer that for you as a human being more than the claims of Christ. To whom will we go? Who else will you go to? Where will you go get help? In your doubts, isn't that something we should consider? First ask, what am I doubting for? What else offers me hope? Where else will I go in this moment? And the last thing I want to point in this is there is no such thing as a worldview structure that is doubt-free. Guess what? Because every other place you go outside of Christ requires faith and trust. Things you can't prove, things you can't comprehend. It also will include doubt. Massive doubts. Massive doubts for people who are trusting in, that, in other worldview systems. Doubts all over the place. Even the most devout doubt. I know that rhymes. I did it on purpose again. It's true of every worldview. Let me close with this. I was uh, listening to an interview of Rosaria Butterfield. How many of you have heard of her? Rosaria Butterfield. I even asked them to put a slide up here of her. And this interview blew my mind. I just, you know, I've heard her story, but this interview was just, I encourage you, take out your phone, hit that link right there. It's going to take you to the YouTube version. You've got to listen to it sometime this week. It is an amazing testimony. Let me just whet your appetite just a little bit. She was a tenured uh, professor of women's studies at Syracuse University. She was an atheist. And she started an interview with her neighbor. And what her research was, she was trying to just figure out what, what makes Christians tick. Right? So we can help and school them and help them understand uh, the folly that they're believing in. Right? And she was attempting to do this. And she, she learned that her neighbor was a Christian. And so she wanted to do an interview process and just do dinners and interviews. Uh, so what she didn't know was her, her, her neighbor was a, a Christian pastor. So he and his wife said, come on in. Right? And, uh, and they just came in. And she started having dinners. She said, I had hundreds of dinners with them in just doing research on, on my studies. And uh, so she's interviewing them. And, um, and she had a gathering at her house one night with some of her friends, uh, all probably atheists. Um, and one of her friends, tran transgender friend, uh, called her off into the kitchen and said, and said to her, Rosaria, you are playing with fire doing these interviews over there. The gospel has power. It changes people. That, that just completely threw her off. Um, and what it is, is her name was Jill. Everybody knew her as Jill. Um, but she said she had formerly in her life, she was a male pastor named Matthew. And she was married to Mary. And she, and she was telling her that we had children. But Jill warned Rosaria that the gospel changes people. You are playing with fire over there. But in the interesting thing, she said, I asked myself in that moment, but, but what if it's true? What if it's true? What if, what if they're right? And she said, that was a terrorizing thought for me to think that they might be right. And she wanted to run from it. But what happened is this former pastor, her friend, sent all of her seminary textbooks and put them on the porch of Rosaria's house the next day. 
and it was Calvin's treatise on Romans. And she began to read the gospel from Calvin. And eventually it would be the, the tool that would bring her to total faith in Christ. And now she is a gospel preacher. I mean, you think I'm strong? Like, she is strong. Like, it is amazing what God has done in her life. But here's my point with all of that. Go listen to this interview. It's a, it'll bless you. It'll bless you. It'll bless you. Take you an hour. But just listen to it this week. But here's my point. Don't think doubt is only for Christians. Guess what? When you go, you're going to go to doubt. And you're going to doubt that too. You're going to doubt any other faith that requires trust in your life. So doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. There's no place you can go that doesn't involve a level of doubts. A couple questions. Could this seasonal struggle with doubt be exposing some motives you have for following Jesus and be calling you to a more proper motive? Secondly, could this seasonal struggle with doubt be calling you to a greater level of trust in Jesus? Have you considered your alternatives? Where would they take you? Who would you become? And if everyone else took that path, what society would you be creating by embracing that worldview? Good questions to ask. Stay with me. We have two more weeks continuing in these thoughts. Amen? I hope that was a blessing to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just, uh, we give this time of response to you. And we sing this song, but we really lift up our prayers and our hearts. So hear our heart cry right now. We, we want to respond to what we have heard you say. And, and in this moment, meet with us and take us where you want us to go. Help us with what we, we need to do and to feel and to express. So meet with us right now in this time of response. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me across the room? Let's sing this song together.